Hey everyone, welcome back to Voice Above. I'm your host Kate and today I will be talking to Dr. Matthew Hoffman about the ongoing climate crisis and how developing issues have impacted the worldwide fight against climate change. Dr. Hoffman is a professor of political science and the co-director of the Environmental Governance Lab at the University of Toronto, an honorary professor at Australia National University, the co-editor of an academic journal called Global Environmental Politics, and the chair of a board of directors for the Green Economy Canada, an environmental non-governmental organization. He has published four books and many journal articles and book chapters on global climate politics and governance, making him a preeminent expert in the field. Dr. Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to, great to be talking with you today. Thanks. So it seems like with COVID-19 sweeping the globe now several times over, the climate crisis has been put on the back burner. So the United Nations Climate Change Conference called COP26 was held for two weeks back in November of last year. 120 of the world's leaders met with over 22,000 delegates participating. And it seemed to me like the overall takeaway from, these, uh, from this event was that countries are still not doing enough to curb emissions that contribute to climate change. I know that was a little while ago now, but what did you think of COP26? Well, it was some good, some bad. Um, as with any meeting of the United Nations or any meeting of the climate, uh, of the climate conference of the parties, the COPs, it really reflects what countries are willing to agree to. And so it actually kind of met my expectations because as you noted, countries are still not doing enough to curb their emission, the emissions that contribute to climate change. And the COP really reflects what countries are willing to do. And so if countries are not being ambitious enough, the, the outcome of international negotiations are not gonna be ambitious enough. And this is kind of a paradox because one of the big takeaways for me is that the Paris Agreement is working as it's intended. Countries have developed national plans. There's now a monitoring system in place with standard ways to measure emissions and measure what countries are doing. And so it's working. This is exactly sort of how the Paris Agreement was set up. In, in other words, to have the global response to climate change really be about the separate national plans around climate change. But even though the Paris Agreement's working, countries, as you noted, aren't ramping up their plans for action fast enough. So the Paris Agreement is working, but we're not really addressing the problem at the depth or speed that we need to. And the Paris Agreement can't make countries act on climate change. It's really a means to acting on climate change or a framework for acting on climate change. Countries are gonna to have to develop that ambition on their own and bring it to the UN negotiations. And until countries ramp up their ambition, we're gonna be disappointed by what comes out of the, of the conference of the parties, of, out of these global negotiations. So speaking of particular countries, as some listeners may remember, China was notably absent, absent from COP26. And a lot of people I spoke to thought that China's absence meant that the talks were essentially pointless because China's the world's biggest emitter. What's your take on that? Well, China wasn't absent. Um, China's leader was absent. Um, and, and so I wouldn't say that it, COP was a, a failure because the leader of China didn't show up. Um, and in fact, China has 
recently it's tailed off recently it's questionable a little bit but china has been a relative leader on climate action in the last couple of years and their plan which they did produce a ratcheted up or an accelerated plan for before cop 26 it's not what everybody necessarily would have hoped it would fully would be but it does move if they implement it it does move the Chinese government and the Chinese state more and more towards climate sanity. And so I wouldn't say that it was a failure because the Chinese leader didn't show up, but China, just like everyone, almost every other country, still has to do more. So do you think that COVID-19 might have impacted the lack of response governments have been um, having towards climate change in the last couple of years? Well, it, it, yes, I think so, in the sense that, well, a couple of things. I think COVID's had a mixed, a mixed impact on climate action. Um, for on the bad side, the negative side, it, it certainly has revived the tired old debates about the economy versus the environment. And so you see tired and really inaccurate arguments about how we can't afford to act on climate change now because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. On the other side, you know, the response to the pandemic showed that the world can move very quickly when it is motivated to do so, right? Tons of economic activity essentially stopped. Now, this is not the best way to do climate action, but it does show that when the world is motivated, it can move very quickly, right? And uh, we also have the idea that COVID-19 and the the sort of response to the economic damage from COVID-19 is also an opportunity for states to rebuild their economies uh, in a a better way, right? And so it's an opportunity to change how we do things. Whether or not countries take that opportunity is another question. But, but yes, I think that COVID has made climate action less sort of front and center, right? And I think that especially those that are not interested in acting on climate change will take any excuse to sort of remove climate change from top of the agenda. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, take on, on its effects, I guess, both good and bad. So speaking of COVID-19 as an opportunity, You wrote an article with a few colleagues in June 2020 that was about COVID-19 recovery plans uh, and how it could be a chance to build a greener and more inclusive society. So I'm just wondering, what did you mean by greener and more inclusive uh, in that paper? Well, one of the things that COVID really did was we we very quickly went, um, and for very appropriate reasons, from this notion that you know, the pandemic, we're all in this together, that the pandemic affects everyone, to realizing very quickly that what the pandemic did was bring into sharp relief many of the inequalities in our societies. And so this notion of building back better or building a greener and more inclusive society through pandemic recovery is recognizing that Yes, there was a lot of academic or economic damage from COVID-19 and the response to COVID-19, but that getting back to normal shouldn't be the goal. 
And the same kind of inequalities that were exposed in how the pandemic affected society and how the response to the pandemic affected society, they mirror some of the same kind of inequalities and injustices that we face in a fossil fuel dominated society and that we face because of the impacts of climate change. And the, the connection here is that in both the COVID case and in climate change, vulnerable communities face some of the biggest impacts from both the problem, so, so from both the pandemic and climate change, but they also face, vulnerable communities also face some of the downsides of acting, right? And so some of the, the measures that were put in place for the pandemic made vulnerable communities more vulnerable. Just like some climate action, if it's not done well, can make vulnerable communities more vulnerable because of loss of jobs or things along these lines. And so because we knew we had to act to both deal with the pandemic and recover economically from it, and because it exposed in a really visceral way some of the injustices and inequalities that are rampant in our society, this should have been and could be still, I think, a time to reflect on how those can change. And I think climate change is a, a way to go about or acting on climate change is a way to bring those more inclusive, more equitable, more just policies into play because we're gonna to have to have as much as it was gonna take a lot of, re and has been taking a lot of resources to recover from the pandemic, it's gonna take even more resources and energy to act on climate change. And doing so in an inclusive way is going to be key to the success of acting on climate change. So you wrote about this in June 2020, now uh, being May 2022. Do you think that governments have missed out on this opportunity or that there still is um, uh, hope that there can be more equitable long-term recovery plans as an option? I think governments are missing the opportunity. They haven't missed it. And, you know, there's been some good academic studies about where pandemic recovery resources have gone. And, you know, they haven't gone to as, they haven't gone into building inclusive and more sustainable societies as much as we might like, but there has been some progress. And I think, and I say that we're missing rather than it's not a missed opportunity because we're still in the midst of this and we're still in the midst of recovering. And there's going to be lots of resources brought to bear in many different societies. And so there still is an opportunity, I think, to continue or to change course to, the, to some degree to make that recovery green and inclusive moving forward. I hope we take it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the world politicians do with this sort of critical moment, I guess. Um, but uh, just last month, uh, the United Nations Climate Science Body, uh, the International Panel on Climate Change, released their latest report that focused on solutions governments could use to fight climate change. They pointed to how there are affordable solutions governments could use and that long-term benefits of cutting emissions outweigh the costs of the solutions um, on the economy, et cetera. So why do you think governments are still taking so long to act? 
Well, it's that's a that's the million dollar question, and I think it's a there's a, there's not a single answer to it. One is it's hard, right? Even though there are affordable solutions, putting them in place is not easy, right? And part of the reason it's not easy is that you have forces that are interested in keeping the status quo moving the way that it is. Some of those are unconscious, right? There's a lot of inertia in society. There's a lot of inertia in supporting the status quo. People just tend to do what they did yesterday. The problem is what people tended to do yesterday was things that are destroying the climate. And so that inertia is making it harder and harder for us to fix climate change. And then of course there's conscious action to slow or conscious uh, interest in slowing action. There are vested interests that uh, don't wanna see a change towards a low carbon future. And they are act working very actively to slow pro progressive action on climate change. And so you've got this sort of inertia of the everyday that you know makes it difficult to to put in place large transformation and you have vested interests that don't want to see large-scale transformation and that's what you have to overcome to put in place some of these affordable and and really wide-ranging solutions that the ipcc has laid out in its latest report it'll uh be interesting to see how governments try to yeah use use this moment again and sort of implement these things, um, especially when uh, there is report after report about the urgency of crises, um, all of these uh, environmental catastrophes that have sort of prompted uh, the public to to take note of climate change um, and whatnot. So it'll be yeah interesting to see what the next few years hold. Um, so. Another United Nations climate change conference called COP27 is going to be taking place in November of this year in Egypt. Do you think that leaders will have made much progress in mitigating climate change or making plans to with COVID still looming in the background and the war between Russia and Ukraine grabbing attention for the first half of this year? Um, probably not. I, I think that uh, what we talked about before with climate change not being on the top of the agenda is going to remain. Now, the thing that you have to remember is these COPs happen every year, right? And this one is not supposed to be a particularly um, important COP in the sense that most of the decisions uh, that are making the Paris Agreement run have already been, uh, been put in place. And so now it's really all about ramping up national ambition. And I don't necessarily see there being a lot of ramping up of national ambition, although there is the, the war between Russia and Ukraine is changing one thing there, and that is the European um, dependence on fossil energy has become a security risk for, for major powers in Western Europe. And so what you're seeing now is sort of an incredible attempt to ramp off the dependence on Russian fossil energy. And what remains to be seen is if trying to lessen their dependence on Russian fossil energy means getting fossil energy from somewhere else or rapidly accelerating the transition to renewable energy. And there seems to be some, some movement in both of those directions. 
And so whether this ends up having, I mean, whether this tragedy and crime of a war ends up having some positive impact around climate change comes down to whether the rest of the world see the, sees this as a wake-up call, for, and, and especially Europe sees this as a wake-up call for, for reducing dependence on fossil energy in general, or whether it just sort of moves around and Europe gets its fossil energy from somewhere else. Well, here's to hoping that uh, they do end up looking for alternative fuel sources uh, instead of just, yeah, getting exports from, from elsewhere, be it Saudi Arabia, Canada, et cetera. Uh, but I guess it's all a waiting game to figure out what's going to happen next. Yes, this is, uh, you know, there's, there's an old curse that says, may you live in interesting times, and we certainly do. <laughs> Well, Dr. Hoffman, it's been great to speak with you today and get your take on the ongoing climate crisis. So thank you again for joining me today. My pleasure. It's great to talk with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out the rest of season two on your preferred streaming platform. As always, subscribe or follow Voice Above on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to get a notification when our next episode airs. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.